You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On today's broadcast, we will share some messages that Archbishop Sheen gave on the Catholic Hour in 1944, and at the time he was Monsignor Sheen, but uh, it is still the same great voice that will deliver to us a beautiful and strong message. I want to extend a special greeting to all the new listeners who are joining us for the first time today, and uh, we're glad you're here with us. I'm sure you will have lots to share with friends and family after listening to an hour of the Venerable Fulton J. Sheen. We just experienced the great feast of Easter and uh, so many different uh, graces and blessings that uh, we all received, and it is a blessing to share these timely messages with you today. Uh, The one thing about Archbishop Sheen is that The messages that we play that he recorded in the 40s and the 50s and the 1960s, it's almost like he's here today. His messages are timeless. And that is one of the attributes, I say, of a saint. Uh, God's word is timeless. It is forever. I'm trying to get the right thing to say here. Uh, But you know what I mean. I hope you know what I mean. And uh, it is these truths that just ring, uh, just ring loud and clear. Um, He said it, and he meant it, and he is speaking truth. Uh, So we're going to share with you a little bit more truth today. And I want to continue on this theme of the seven last words. Um, You know, the seven last words that our Lord spoke from the cross isn't just a Lenten message. It's a message for us all year. Uh, Christ died for each and every one of us. And for many of you who go to Mass on a regular basis, you know that Mass is the reenactment of the Passion. And it is Christ coming down to earth and taking the form of bread and this great mystery of the Eucharist. But we think of those beautiful words of love of how Christ spoke to us in the seven last words. Well, now I want to do a little bit of a twist here. Uh, Archbishop Sheen wrote a book, The Seven Words to the Cross. And in that book contains seven different characters who speak back to the cross. And so Archbishop Sheen gave uh, some recordings back in, I think it was, um, I'm going to look it up here, 1944. And in 1944, he gave an address uh, through the Catholic Hour radio program. And he, uh, week by week, uh, addressed each one of those individuals. So I thought I'd share two of them with you today. 
one is the group of people called humanist, and the other group is called sinners. And so uh, I think we're all sinners. Uh, not everybody would agree with, oh, I'm a humanist, um, but there are some people that are humanists. So uh, he's going to give us the answer of how to respond to them. And uh, so he'll be very entertaining and very educational. So I would encourage you to truly pay attention today. Uh, but before we start, let's pray. It's always uh, a great opportunity to pray with you. And I love pay- praying for favors. And so uh, I have this little prayer card uh, that is uh, a picture of uh, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, and we're going to pray for him to obtain a favor for us through his intercession. So please join me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth through the redemptive mission of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and by the working of the Holy Spirit. If it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor I now request through his prayerful intercession. And we make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That feels great. It's always good to pray. And so now let us enjoy the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Today on the Catholic Hour, the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen will deliver the ninth in a series of 16 addresses under the general title, One Lord, One World. Appropriate music will be performed by the choir of the Church of the Blessed Sacrament, New York City, under the direction of Warren Foley. Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen now addresses the Catholic Hour audience. Monsignor Sheen has entitled today's talk, The First Word to the Cross, A Word to Humanists. Monsignor Sheen. Friends, on this, the first Sunday of Lent, may I renew the appeal for an hour a day to be spent in prayer by every Jew... Protestant and Catholic. Catholics should attend Mass daily as part of their holy hour, remembering always that the world is under the chastisement of God, and we must do penance and return to God before we will have peace. And in an effort to break down anti-Semitism and anti-Christianity in this country, We have written a little booklet entitled Friends, which we will send you free for the asking. It is only by loving God that we will ever learn to love one another. There are millions of souls in this great country of ours who have no religion whatsoever. Their attitudes vary from a very earnest yearning for religion to an intense hatred of it. 
it is quite possible that they all could be reduced to seven distinct categories. Our Lord spoke seven times from the cross. These are called his seven last words. But those who were on Calvary's hill that afternoon addressed seven words to him, thus revealing the seven different impacts the cross makes on souls. The first of the seven possible attitudes toward the cross is that of humanism. The term humanist is here understood in its modern philosophical sense and embraces all those who want a religion without a cross. The humanists, for example, believe that man is naturally good, that progress is inevitable through science, and that human reason, by its own effort, is able to restore peace to the world. The humanists regard all suggestions about faith and grace and prayer and the supernatural order as impractical and unnecessary. They want an education of self-expression, a God without justice, a morality without religion, a Christ without his cross, a Christianity without sacrifice, and a kingdom of God without redemption. These humanists of our day had their prototypes on Calvary on Good Friday. They were those whom sacred scripture calls the passers-by. A significant term indeed, for it suggests those who never remain long enough with religion to know anything about it. Those who think themselves wise because they have a passing acquaintance with our Lord. It was they who speak the first word to the cross. And they said, Vah, thou that destroyest the temple of God, and in three days dost rebuild it, save thy own self. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. He is no sooner on the cross then they ask him to come down. The world is always saying that. Come down from your belief in divinity. Come down from your teaching in hell. Come down from your belief that what God hath joined together no man can put asunder. Come down from your belief that Christ will preserve the church even to the consummation of the world. Come down from your belief in infallibility. Come down and we will believe. And all the while that mob jeers, there comes from the cross the answer, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They said, If thou be the Son of God, humanists are certain only of humanity, not of divinity. But he spoke of God, Father, they said, come down. They judged power by deliverance from pain. He said, forgive. He judged power by deliverance from sin. They boasted of their knowledge and superior wisdom, and he reminded them that all their wisdom was ignorance. 
they know not what they do. Religion, the humanist insists, must be a religion of love. And who speaks more of brotherhood than humanists? But they want a love without the cross. And the word of our blessed Lord seems to imply that that is impossible. For how shall love forgive without first satisfying justice? Shall love mean to let the sinner go on sinning? Or shall it mean to make the sinner sinless? A religion without a cross. That is the essence of humanism. Now what we want to do here is not to prove that the humanists are wrong, but we want to try to make them understand the meaning of the cross and how very much it symbolizes the love of God. And so we speak directly to the humanists. You have humanized God, and thus you have dehumanized man. By denying man can be supernatural, you have not left him even natural. For every man wants to be more than he is. You have tried to make all men brothers, but you have forgotten that men cannot be brothers unless they have a common father. And God cannot be a father unless he has a son to whom we all are patterned as brothers. Swine are content. But you humanists are not content with humanity. For now, like monsters of the deep, man preys on man. In godless hands, man has withered like a rose without roots. You make a republic of kings, but you have no one to crown or anoint them. The tragedy of your humanism is believing that dirty things are clean, that the cruel are kind, and hence there's no need for a cross. Come down, and we will believe. To you, all men are good. There are halos even in hell. And so on Calvary's hill you stand and ask in seeming wisdom for a Christ without a cross while he answers you, forgive. Do you not know that to have a world without a cross is in itself a cross? Do you know a mother worthy of the name would not take the pain of her tender babe as her very own because she loves that babe? Why then should not supreme love in the face of evil seek to take the penalty which sin deserves that the evil might be innocent again? Then why do you say, come down and we will believe? If he came down, in whom would you believe? Why are we at war? If it is not because sin is in some human blood... And only in the shedding of just blood can there be redemption and remission of sin. Why not see then that great evils can be conquered only by the shedding of the blood of the God-made man upon the cross? Why then do you say, come down and we will believe? For if he came down, where would love be? Greater love than this no man hath. 
that a man lay down his life for his friends. Do you believe that you, who out of love for neighbor can sacrifice yourself, can do that which God cannot do? Truly you know not what you do. Have you humanists ever seen love stand up against brute force and go down simply because it would not cease to love? Love without power is destroyed by evil. But love armed with power will die rather than surrender love. And that is our Lord on the cross. God in becoming man must suffer too as man suffers. Else how could love be love if it costs not the lover? Did not your Gaethy say, If I were God, this world of sin would break my heart. Well, that is just what it did to him. It broke his heart. Why then, if your love for man is sometimes met by sneer and scorn... Do you say to a Christ whose God-love was crucified, come down and we will believe? In what can you believe if love must love without a cross and sacrifice? The cross is eternal. It cannot be dug up. It cannot be taken down. It is the core of creation. It is the root of all of our lesser calvaries, of all the sacrifices of all our soldiers in this war. It is God who gives the cross. And it is the cross that gives us God. You want the cross, but you do not want the crucifix. The cross you can wear as a charm, but the crucifix you cannot. Somehow or other, when you look at it, you feel involved. A statue of Buddha does not stir you. But just put a crucifix on your desk for three days and see what it does to you. Remember the days of the French Revolution when a mob swept into the Tuileries, through room after room it went destroying, then through a closed door and lo and behold a chapel. Above the tabernacle hung the crucifix. A hush fell upon the enraged mob and someone cried, hats off! Every head was bowed. Then every knee was bent. Indifference was impossible. Then a humanist took the crucifix down, hung it in an adjoining house, and the wild tide of destruction rolled on. They had taken Christ down from his cross. Now they could proceed. Religion was comfortable. No wonder men want Christ to come down. They want a cross, but not a crucifix. A crucifix perils your soul. You stand unmoved before the Sphinx. But the Christ on his cross, in some way, gets into your heart and into your soul, and you acknowledge your guilt. Suppose that our Lord did come down from the cross as you bad then he would have forced you to have done his will. Where then would be your freedom? One day he will come without his cross, bearing it rather than being born upon it, 
But that will be to judge and to strike and not to heal as now. For then the day of healing will be past. The human never long remains the humanist. For either beast or angel man becomes. But not just man. If you came from the beast, you cannot leave the beast behind. But if you came from God, then you can leave humanity behind and be a child of God. This is true humanism, where man finds his center in his source. Before it is too late, then, my dear humanist, desist your plea. Come down and we will believe. Rather listen to that word he answered you. Father... Forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgiveness is not cheap. If he offered forgiveness to you without a cross, you would not take it. But from a nail-pierced hand, how can you refuse? That cross is the price that God had to pay to buy you from your sins. Without it, there is neither sin nor God. As you rise in the scale of nobility, do you not choose pain and trouble and sacrifice for others rather than comfort and ease? Then why do you not choose him who did just those very things for you? But may you, after having listened to the first word of our Lord from the cross, be captured by his love. And with the poet, let this be your tale. I slipped his fingers. I escaped his feet. I ran and hid. For him I feared to meet. One day I passed him fettered on a tree. He turned his head and looked and beckoned me. Neither by speed nor strength could he prevail. Each hand and foot was pinioned by a nail. He could not run nor clasp me if he tried, but with his eyes he bade me reach his side. For pity's sake, thought I, I'll set you free. Nay, take this cross, said he, and follow me. The yoke is easy, the burden light. Not hard nor grievous, if you wear it tight. And so did I follow him who could not move, an uncaught captive in the hands of love. God love you.
Monsignor Sheen has just delivered an address entitled The First Word to the Cross, A Word to Humanists. Those of our listeners who would like a copy of this talk for further reference may obtain it by writing to the National Council of Catholic Men, Washington, D.C., or to their favorite NBC station. The little booklet, Friends, which Monsignor Sheen has offered to all who will write for it, has not yet been received from the printer. We ask those who have already requested the booklet to understand that this delay is due to wartime conditions over which we have no control. Copies will be put in the mail immediately after we receive them. If you have not yet sent in a request for your copy, please do so now, so that you may be assured of receiving your booklet as soon as possible. And now we invite all those listening to join Monsignor Sheen in offering up this prayer in time of war. O Lord Jesus Christ, who in thy mercy hearest the prayers of sinners, pour forth, we beseech thee, all grace and blessing upon our country and its citizens. We pray in particular for the President, for our Congress, for all our soldiers, for all who defend us in ships, whether on the seas or in the skies, for all who are suffering the hardships of war. We pray for all who are in peril or in danger. Bring us all after the troubles of this life into the haven of peace and reunite us all together forever, O oh dear Lord, in thy glorious heavenly kingdom. Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I uh, want to thank you for joining me. Uh, you could be doing uh, lots of other things, but you've taken the time to sit here with me to listen to these recordings given by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, for many of you, you may remember him as Monsignor Sheen. And if you're really mature, you would remember him as Father Sheen. Uh, but uh, it is something to know that no matter what title the Church gave him, he was speaking truth. He was sharing uh, the hard lessons of life. But Calvary was hard. The crucifixion was difficult. Our Lord laid down his life to save us. And uh, these topics need to be talked about. Uh, the scriptures talk about preaching Christ and Christ crucified. And Sheen did this so beautifully. Uh, these uh, talks that we've been sharing, this talk especially about humanist, 
I think we're sitting back and going, I know somebody like that. I have a friend or a family member or somebody that I see. They're that same person that Bishop Sheen was talking about in that recording. Uh, not only that, I think some of us say, I'm that person. He's convicting me. I act that way. And uh, know that we need to amend our lives and uh, be corrected. Uh, but he did it so gently. He really did. And uh, again, don't worry if you didn't get it all in your head in one sitting. Uh, this show will be rebroadcasted. This show will also be put to our archives so that you can re-listen to it time and time again. Uh, these beautiful teachings from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And, and I apologize in advance. I, I, I call him by, <laughs> you know, many titles. Uh, I don't call him Uncle Fulty. That was uh, Milton Burrell's uh, uh, special name for him. But uh, again, I like to call him Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, but you'll hear me time to time say Bishop Sheen or Monsignor Sheen. Uh, but he's still... Again, Fulton J. Sheen. And uh, God only made one Fulton J. Sheen. And he is beautiful. And his uh, voice is a great instrument. And he knows how to use it well. Now, a good friend of mine uh, and me were discussing about uh, Sheen's radio work in the uh, the 30s, the 40s. And, um, you know, we, ha we have this opinion that what what Fulton Sheen was doing was that he was actually sharing his books with the world through the radio. As you study his manuscripts, you start to realize, hey, he was reading his book over the radio, but uh, sharing it as reflections. And so this reflection I just shared with you, and the next one I'll share with you shortly, comes from Fulton J. Sheen's book uh, written, entitled, The Seven Words to the Cross. And there, Fulton Sheen describes seven different types of people. Now, I'm going to share the recording that followed that broadcast, uh, and it's entitled, The Word to Sinners, and it is the second word to the cross. And so I encourage you now to sit back and relax and enjoy the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Today, the Catholic Hour celebrates its 14th year on the air. We ask your prayers that this radio hour may ever become a more and more perfect means of spreading light, hope, and inspiration among its listeners. On today's program, the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen will deliver the 10th in a series of 16 addresses under the general title, One Lord, One World. The choir of the Church of the Blessed Sacrament, New York City, under the direction of Warren Foley, will provide appropriate music. Since March 2nd, 1930, when the Catholic Hour was broadcast for the first time, its programs have been given under the patronage of the Blessed Mother of our Lord. 
the Right Reverend Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen now addresses the Catholic Hour audience. Monsignor Sheen has entitled today's talk, The Second Word to the Cross, A Word to Sinners. Monsignor Sheen. Friends, there are two ways of coming to God. Through their preservation of innocence and through the loss of it. Some have come to God because they were good, like Mary who was full of grace, like Joseph the just man, like Nathaniel in whom there was no guile, or like John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of woman. But others have come to God who were bad, like the young man of the Gerasenes possessed of devils, like Magdalene, out of whose corrupt soul the Lord cast seven devils, and like the thief at the right who spoke the second word to the cross. The world loves the mediocre. The world hates the very good and the very bad. The good are a reproach to the mediocre, and the evil are a disturbance. That is why Christ was crucified with thieves. This is his true position. Jesus among the worthless ones. During his life he was accused of eating and drinking with sinners. And now they accuse him of dying with them. Here is the supreme instance of the right man in the right place. Christ among the bandits the Redeemer in the midst of the unredeemed, the physician among the lepers. For God does not work through culture but through grace. Thus does God show that we become great not because of what we are, but because of what he gives. God in his infinite wisdom has reached deep into the lower layers of humanity and picked out of its dregs two worthless derelicts and he used one of them as the escort of his eternal son. At the beginning of the crucifixion, both thieves cursed and blasphemed the Savior. But suddenly the soul of one of them, the thief at the right, lighted by fires from that central cross, turned to a king who was being mocked and asked to be one of his subjects. For he said, Lord, remember me when thou shalt come into thy kingdom. Lord. He called him Lord. A real king is so easy to approach. Remember me. There was a touch of humor in asking God to remember. God had remembered him before he was born. That is why he was immortal. God had been following his souls down the corridor of time, and now this pursued asked the pursuer to remember. When thou shalt come into thy kingdom. How did the thief know he had a kingdom? Maybe the crown of thorns spoke of a diadem, the crucifixion of a coronation, 
the nails of a scepter and the blood of royal purple. We can never judge people by the way they are dressed. No prayer to God is ever unanswered. And so from the central cross there flashed back this day. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. This day, evil has its hour, but God has his day. Thou, he calleth his sheep by name. This was the foundation of Christian democracy the value of a person. The soul of an outcast is of such value that the eternal word addresses him in the second person singular, thou shalt be with me in paradise. I wonder why he said in paradise. To be with him is paradise. The mob on Calvary asked him to come down from the cross, and the thief asked to be taken up. The masses would have believed if he preached a religion without a cross, but the thief found his faith by hanging on a cross. This is the supreme instance of one bringing good out of evil. It is doubtful if the thief would have found goodness otherwise. Why is it that this thief found salvation? It can only be because the capacity for conversion is greater in the really wicked than in the self-satisfied and complacent. The very emptiness of souls of the sinners is in itself an occasion for receiving the compassion of God. Self-disgust is the beginning of conversion, for it marks the death of pride. And may it not be that the conversion of the good thief is the key to the conversion of the modern world. Men will return to God in this world, not just because they are good, but because they recognize that they are evil. In this modern day, men will come to God through evil rather than through goodness. Or shall we say, they will come to God through the devil. Countless are the instances mentioned in the gospel of those who came to God after Satan was driven out of their souls. The French revolutionist Sorel predicted that the basic problem of the 20th century would be the problem of evil. And everyone knows this is the century of evil and insanity. The 19th century foreshadowed this in one of its most outstanding writers, Dostoevsky the Russian who believed that the world would be saved after it had passed from Antichrist to Christ. An English philosopher in our own day makes this typical modern approach of finding God in the very midst of evil. None of the explanations given by his contemporaries concerning evil are satisfactory to him. The socialist explanation of evil in terms of economic inequality and injustice, he rejects. Very aptly, he says, for if poverty is the root of all evil, then money must be the source of all virtue. 
And then he rejects the psychological explanation of evil, which attributes evil to suppressed desires and thwarted sex libidos, all of which, according to the modern mind, could be abolished by popularizing aesthetics and by extending the blessings of the machine and the ballot. And he asks himself, was no rich man ever cruel? Was no unrepressed man ever tyrannical? Was no self-expressive child selfish? Evil is not merely a byproduct of unfavorable circumstances. It is so widespread and so deep-seated that one can only conclude that that which religion has taught is true, namely that evil is endemic in the heart of man. And that it is. It is in our blood. It flows through our veins. It gives life to the brain when it thinks evil. It energizes the will when it kills. It fires the muscles when it drops bombs. And it persecutes the prayerful. In the face of that evil which is endemic in the human heart, this truth finally emerges. To overcome evil, we must begin to recognize that it is evil. And there's no hope for the world until we do recognize sin is sin. There's hope for those who are deaf and who want to hear. For the lame who want to walk. There is hope for the diseased who acknowledge the need of a physician. And there is hope for a sinner who recognizes the need of a redeemer. The thief at the right conquered evil just that way. By admitting his emptiness of soul, he called upon God to save him. There's only one thing in the world that is worse than sin. And that is denying that we are sinners. And that is the tragedy of the world in which we live. It denies sin. Never before in the history of the world was there so much evil and never before so little consciousness of it. We blame everyone except ourselves. Talk to a modern man about recognizing and reconciling his soul with God, and this is what he will say to you. What have I ever done to him? Why leave him alone? Why shouldn't he let me alone? Why does the modern man say this? Well, for the very same reason that a healthy man might say to a surgeon who wished to operate on him, there's nothing wrong with me. Leave me alone. In like manner, if you are your own law, if you set your own standards, if you are your own God, then it is nonsense to ask to be reconciled to another God. As a man gets more wicked, he understands his wickedness less and less. Just as when a man's fever climbs to a point of deliriousness, he understands his sickness less and less. He may even think himself so healthy that he wants to go to work. The more we are in sin, the less we know sin. As the sounder we are asleep, the less we know we are asleep. We have to wake up before we know we were asleep. 
a moderately bad man knows he is not good. A very bad man thinks he's good. When, therefore, you reach a point, when you cease calling yourself idiotic, and do not mean it, and begin to call yourself a rotter, and really mean it, you are on the pathway of the good bandit that leads to conversion. The perception of guilt is the condition of conversion, as the perception of disease is the condition of remedy. And so long as we think we are good, we will never, never find God. If you think you know it all, how can God teach you? There's a peculiar thing about pride. We will admit we are ill-tempered or that we are intemperate. But have you ever in your life known anyone who admitted that he was proud and conceited? We all deny that we are proud. We condemn pride so very vociferously in others that we deny we've ever been guilty of it ourselves. As a matter of fact, the more conceited we are, the more we hate conceit in others. The more we say, I'm not conceited, the more we prove that we are conceited. Our pride, therefore, makes us look down on people so that we can never look up to God. And in order to look up to God, we needs must do two things. First, we must humble ourselves. And that is why Sunday after Sunday, we ask every Jew and Protestant and Catholic in our radio audience to set aside an hour a day for prayer and contemplation. I wonder how many of you are doing it. Catholics every morning should attend Mass and extend that morning Mass a half an hour and complete the Holy Hour. And then the second thing that we must do is we must live in humble service of our fellow men. And to cultivate that, we have published this little book entitled Friends, the purpose of which is to induce us to be friends with God and friends with ourselves, friends with Catholics, friends with Jews, and friends with Protestants. The very moment we stop strutting and posing and begin to see ourselves as we really are, then in our humility we shall be exalted. Let us therefore examine our conscience. Ask ourselves not how much we know, but how much we do not know. Not how good we are, but how bad we are. Let us judge ourselves not by the knowledge we possess, but by our consciences. Not by our education, but by our habits. Not by our politeness, but by our hearts. As soon as we feel a great void in our souls, and realize that because of our sinning we are no longer our own, and acknowledge that we are still thirsty at the border of a well, and admit that we have played the fool, 
and that our follies of the years mount up in their dark arrears. Then out of a dark and swampy soul we cry out with the thief as all Catholics do when they go to confession, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I am a sinner. Such is the beginning of salvation. And in that beginning we say to our Lord, There are two things, dear Lord, which are not in your treasury, rich as you are. My sins and my sorrow. Make them thine, as thou didst make the sins and the sorrow of the thief thine. The thief died a thief, for he stole paradise. And if we win paradise, it will be because we are thieves too. For we will never deserve what we got, the God of everlasting love. And so, as a sinner to sinners, I say, may God have mercy on our souls. God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Peace, grace, and blessings to you, Radio Maria family, and thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living. These two reflections we heard from Monsignor Sheen uh, from the Catholic Hour recordings in 1944 uh, truly touched my life uh, today. They ring true from what I've always known of Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, He speaks about Christ and Christ crucified. He speaks of the Lord's passion. And he reminds us, reminds us of God's great love for us, that he suffered and died. Uh, to open heaven for us. I'll share with you a personal story of uh, Fulton Sheen and me. It's um, I'm kind of late in arriving to Fulton Sheen's doorstep. It's um, you know 2009 when I first read Fulton Sheen. Uh, I picked up the book Victory Over Vice, and it is the book that talks about the seven last words, but uh, applies them to the seven deadly sins. Uh, but our Lord's words were the antidote to those seven deadly sins. And so when I listened to these recordings from Fulton Sheen about the seven deadly sins, the seven last words, it just rings true of how we need conversion. Archbishop Sheen had an ability to make me feel guilty for my sins, to help me to feel sorry and... um, I think that's what it takes for a lot of us as we just continue to sin because we don't really feel that we offend the Lord or that um, we're really sad that we uh, fell out of grace. And um, it's, it's, it's one of these things. And so it was Bishop Sheen that some way, somehow, through uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that that book was put in front of me and it started me on this journey. So I'm very passionate about speaking about the passion. I'm very passionate about sharing anything that Bishop Sheen talked about, the seven last words. And so it's with a little bias, I think, that I share this with you. But I'm sure you're glad that I did. And again, he has a way of speaking to hearts. 
Uh, people would say all the time that, that would watch him on television that his eyes were penetrating, that he could look right into your soul. And sometimes when I look at a prayer card that has a picture of uh, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen on it, uh, his eyes are penetrating into my soul. So uh, he has an effect. And so hopefully he'll have that same effect on you. And so I encourage you to share uh, these messages with a friend. Again, they are on our website as a rebroadcast. So if you missed a part of today's program, know that you can uh, listen to it a bit later. And, of course, share it with your friends. And so let us end this hour with a prayer for the um I like to say for the canonization of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, we love the Church to declare him a saint, so we have to pray. So please join me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, source of all holiness, you raise up within the Church in every age men and women who serve with heroic love and dedication. You have blessed your Church through the life and ministry of your faithful servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He has written and spoken well of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and was a true instrument of the Holy Spirit in touching the hearts of countless people. If it be according to your will, for the honor and glory of the Most Holy Trinity, and for the salvation of souls, we ask you to move the Church to proclaim him a saint. And we ask this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look forward to having you with me again next week. And I want to thank, once again, Radio Maria Canada for giving me the opportunity to share these messages with you today. And also, a special thank you to our good friends at FultonSheen.com who provide uh, so many of us with quality recordings of uh, Bishop Sheen, uh, his television shows, his radio addresses, uh, a number of his sermons and lectures. And you can download them onto your iPhone, your Android phone, um, you know, all your different uh, devices by visiting their website at www.fultonsheen.com. And so until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Here on Radio Maria Canada.